You know, it's crazy to me that there are actually only two weeks left in our series on Ephesians today and then next Sunday. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. That's the Sunday we'll be wrapping it up. Uh, today we're going to be talking about harmony in the home. If you have your bulletin, you'll see that's the title of the message today, harmony in the home. And then next week, we're going to close it out in uh, chapter six, talking about spiritual warfare. Now, I don't think it's any accident that those two things are side by side, right? God's design for the home and then spiritual warfare, uh, whereby the devil tries to destroy everything good that God is doing. And so come back next week uh, for that. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this morning, like I said, we're going to be talking about harmony in the home. If you look at the end of chapter 5 of Ephesians, uh, really from verse 21 all the way through uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 13, or chapter 6, verse 9, we see instructions for the household, instructions for the family, uh, and, and wives and husbands, parents and children, and then it talks about slaves and masters as well. So things that happen within the household. And we want to talk about how God calls us as Christians to live in harmony in the home. And I wanted to take advantage of this uh, this opportunity this morning. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while, okay? I'm going to kill two birds with one stone this morning. I want to make a point that helps illustrate what Ephesians 5 is talking about. And I also want to audition for our worship team. Is, that, is everybody okay with that? Okay, so... I thought what I would do is go up here and check out one of these instruments. This is Miguel's guitar. He's told me never to touch it, so I probably better not use his, okay? I could go in the drum cage maybe, right, and just start wailing on it, and you guys could tell me if I was right, or do you all want me to sing a solo? No, that's not happening. Or I thought about, I even thought about doing this piano, but there's a lot of buttons on that, so I'm not doing any of those. I brought my own instrument this morning, okay? Does anybody know what this is? It's my own piano, okay? So we're going to have a little audition this morning because one of the things I want us to understand this morning about harmony in the home is that when you play the right notes and you play them the way they're written, it sounds a whole lot better. And so I'm going to try out this piano. Uh, we're going to see how this works. And uh, so let me just show you one, one quick thing here. If I were to come up here and with one hand play a song... Uh, it, it should sound pretty good. Let's see how this goes. So hopefully this picks it up on my mic. How about that? Okay. That's that one finger. Okay. Now uh, I want to try one more thing here because that was the right notes except one. I kind of messed that one up. Um, so I'm going to try it with two fingers and see how this goes. Okay. Let me try this. We'll see if this one works. Nope. Not working here. How about that? That sounded a little better, right? But then, okay, now let me, let me just show you something. If you play a song that was written carefully by a composer and put it all together perfectly, you'll be amazed at how it sounds. Okay, let me try this. See if you recognize this tune. I think that's, we've heard enough. We've heard enough, right? Okay. The point there that I'm trying to do, I, that was my audition. You think Miguel will take me? You think he'll let me play something? If I bring this instrument, he might let me play. Okay. Um, no, to kill two birds with one stone, that was my audition. But the bigger point I'm trying to make is that when a musician plays the notes they, the way they were written, 
um, and plays them perfectly, it sounds a whole lot better, doesn't it? You know, if you had our worship band up here every Sunday and each person said, I'm going to play this song, uh, and another person said, I'm going to play this song, and another person said, well, I'm going to play the same song, but I'm going to play it really fast, what would it sound like? It would sound terrible, wouldn't it? Uh, and I think this is what happens many times in our homes. Um, is we all want to play our own notes. We want to play them the way we want to play them. I'm going to play a different song than Sarah's playing today because I want to play my song. And, and I choose to play my own notes, and guess what happens? It doesn't sound good. It doesn't work good. And, and that's not the way God designed it. And so this morning when we look at how God has designed the home, we need to realize that things work better when we play the notes that God has composed, when we follow God's design for his family. And uh, some of the things we're going to see this morning, I'll admit, are not popular in today in today's time. Um, but again, I would say we need to look at the one who's created the family, who's created the home, and let it work according to his design. Um, when you think about how God designed the family, in fact, flip all the way back to the very beginning of your Bibles, okay? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, this is one thing I love about Ephesians, is Ephesians takes us from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It talks about things that happen in Genesis and leads us to the end of time with Revelation, then talking about the inheritance that Christ will give us for all eternity. But Ephesians, or Genesis chapter 1, let's talk about this. In verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And a little bit later, it says uh, uh, at the end of this where it talks about him creating humans. Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God created the family. He put a man and a woman together. Chapter 2 talks a little more about that. And he says, this is very good. Not just good, but very good. Well, how long does it take two humans to mess that up? Turn one page over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. So one thing you're going to notice this morning is we're going to bounce back and forth between this good ideal thing that God puts out there, the composition, the way he says a family is supposed to be composed, and then we bounce to, yeah, but reality is when you live with other humans, it gets messy. Um, and so we're going to jump to, to Genesis 3. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, okay? So we're going to read through a lot of Genesis 3 because without Genesis 3, we would have no need uh, for Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and you might be, be here this morning uh, um, and saying, oh, no, we're going to preach about Ephesians 5 today. Um, I'm just visiting. This is my first time. Why of all Sundays did I choose this? Um, and I think you're going to see that what God says to married couples, whether you're married or not, um, these principles apply to every relationship you have. And so we have a lot to learn from Ephesians 5, but I want us to start by reading some of these verses from Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 19. This is a long passage, but this talks about how we got where we are today. So Genesis 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Genesis 3 verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of God. You know, um, some of you maybe in days past or have celebrated Ash Wednesday. Those are actually some of the words that are are pronounced in Ash Wednesday services. Remember that you are dust, for to dust you shall return. You know, uh, when we look at Genesis 3, what we see is the sin effect, don't we? But when we come to the book of Ephesians, especially Ephesians 5, we see the grace effect. And God says, I want to give you what you don't deserve. And that is going to change everything. The grace of God affects everything. And we need the grace of God in Ephesians chapter 5 because of chapter 3 in Genesis. We've said this before. Grace affects everything. The, the doctrine, the truth about who God is gives you a duty to respond to him in a certain way. The beliefs that you have, if you've trusted Christ, Ephesians tells us, then your behavior will change because of that belief. If you have riches in Christ, you have responsibilities to follow him. And so this morning we want to talk about what that looks like in the context of marriage. This is still in chapter 5, which began by saying, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love 
as Christ loved us. And so we're talking this morning about how to walk in love in the context of marriage. All right, you've probably seen this this picture or ones like it. This is a Norman Rockwell painting of a couple that is at the courthouse getting married. And you just look at their faces, right, how happy they are. They're about to take the plunge and begin this wonderful, beautiful thing called marriage. It's a dream. They're getting married. It's an idealistic picture of marriage. And you can barely see him in the corner, that old judge kind of sitting there saying, these guys have no idea what they're about to get into. And it's like Genesis 3. Remember Genesis 1, it was very good. By Genesis 3, it's very bad. Um, And so the idealistic quickly gets distorted. A couple of things I want to say before we really jump into what God tells us about marriage this morning. Uh, one is this, we're, we're talking about this text is really directed towards marriage and towards anybody who's married. Um, but I would also say, again, the principles are important for any relationship. So whether you're married right now uh, or have been married before or are hoping to get married one day, these principles are true for you and not even just in the context of marriage. But also know in a room of this size with people like us, uh, there are uh, no doubt struggling marriages in here. Uh, those of you who are struggling with your spouse, maybe even broken marriages or ended marriages. Some of you have experienced divorce. Um, some of you are single and wish you weren't. Uh, so no matter where you are, I think what Ephesians 5 tells us is there is hope. And God says, I want you to follow my purpose for marriage, my purpose for relationships. Um, And one thing I think that we're going to see over and over in in Ephesians 5 this morning is that God's purpose for marriage, God's purpose for relationships is not necessarily to make you happy. All right. He wants you to be happy, but that's not his purpose. Uh, His purpose is to make you holy. And marriage is one of the greatest tools that God has for that purpose is to make us holy. So we've already read one long passage of scripture, but we're going to read another little section from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So it starts like this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, this is the word of the Lord. What I want us to see this morning is that when we talk about God's grace in the Christian home or in a Christian marriage, it affects everything. And what I also want us to see, as I shared with you so beautifully on the piano, is that marriage is God's composition. It's his design. It's a great gift to humans. 
And we want to follow that design. We want to follow the right notes. And so that would be my encouragement to you is see what notes God has for you this morning. What notes he wants you to play. And we want to talk about harmony in the home. All right. So the very first thing you see there in your in your bulletin, uh, the first point is we have note for wives, a note for wives. And and what is that word? I'm about to throw it up here. It's it's an S word in our culture today. OK, some people would call this the S word and it's submission. All right. The word submission. That's the word that's used in our text. Uh, it's kind of explained there in verses 21 through 24. And again, uh, this word is not popular today. Not popular today, and I think there's good reason for it not to be popular because I want to say I think many people, uh, many religions, even Christianity have abused this word significantly over the years. And so we want this morning to look at what scripture means when it talks about submitting and submission. And if this is God's word that he wants to give to wives, then let's understand what it means in the context of marriage. I think there's a few things we want to look at before we jump too deep into that. And that is this. We talk about God's design for marriage or God's design for humans in general, not even for marriage, just humans in general. A couple of key points. Dignity. We saw that in Genesis 1. We are made in God's image. Every human being is made in God's image. Male, female, made in God's image. Equality, equality. Galatians chapter 3. If you're in Ephesians, flip back about one page uh, to Galatians 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every person is equally loved by God. God says, it's not that I love men more. It's not that I love women more. I love you all just the same, uh, no matter who you are. So God has designed us to be equal in, a value, in value. Uh, yet, God tells us in Ephesians 5 and elsewhere in Scripture that there's a distinction between male and female, uh, a distinction of uh, biology and a distinction of roles, I believe Scripture teaches us. And yet, we also see, despite the distinction, there is a unity that is described in Ephesians. And what is that unity? It's a unity of purpose. God says whether you're male or female, husband or wife, single or or married, God says you all have the same purpose. And that is to serve me, to know me, and to make me known to others. So let's talk about this word submit. Let's talk about the S word, okay? What what does this mean? A lot of people would say that's something that might have been true in the culture of Paul, but it's totally different now, and we don't even want to use that word because it's kind of outdated. Um, the problem is that word is actually a, a, a fairly strong word. It's not just that uh, Scripture says, wives, you need to kind of go along with whatever your husbands say. Uh, it's It's a strong word, the word submit. But what we need to realize before Paul even says uh, to wives, submit to your husbands, look at verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's not talking just to wives, not just talking to women, not just talking to men. It's talking to everyone that Paul's talking to. He says, all of y'all are called to submit to one another. Okay? Uh, and then he jumps into verse 22 saying, wives to your husbands. In fact, a literal translation, believe it or not, that word where it says uh, submit to your husbands, uh, it's actually just saying, it just says wives to your husbands. It's picking up on verse 21. So what are we talking about when he says submitting to one another? Look back earlier in chapter 5. This is what uh, Miguel talked about last week. Go back to verse uh, 18. Verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18, it says, 
Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the command that Paul gives believers. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he lists off five things that kind of characterize being filled with the Holy Spirit. What are they? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and in everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last one is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is one of those things that we are called to do if we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Is that is to submit ourselves to one another. And yet, Paul, when we get to this ending part of chapter 5, says that it's kind of a specific case for how that's supposed to look in Christian marriage. The word submit, what we need to realize this, is it's not defined by ancient usage. How did they used to use this word during Paul's time? Uh, Usually, uh, a husband in Roman times would have said, my wife is my property. I really don't even see her as a companion. Uh, I'm going to let her run my household. Uh, She's going to bear my legitimate children. Uh, But I'm going to find companionship and pleasure elsewhere. That literally was the common view uh, that people had of their wives and what it meant for them to say to their wife, submit. And so even though that's what was going on during Paul's time, Paul says what God tells us is something radically different. We're not going to use that definition because what Paul gives us in Ephesians 5 is something very different from that definition. It's also not defined by modern connotations. I told you it's, it's the S word today, right? We don't want to talk about what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband, but we have to because this is what Scripture says. And so what does it mean? Because modern connotations would say, yeah, that's been used and abused by a lot of people. In fact, a lot of husbands have used this word to abuse their wives physically, verbally, and in any other, many other ways. So we can't use modern connotations to define this either. We want to define it this morning by God's design for marriage as it's explained here in chapter 5 of Ephesians. That's the definition we're going for. Not ancient definitions, not modern definitions, but we want to try to understand this radically new definition that God was giving uh, to Christian marriage, saying that if you are my people, if you're going to live in unity and peace with one another, uh, this is what your Christian home is supposed to look like. So that's what we're going to try to unpack uh, uh, this morning. You know, like we said, God is the composer of this. And so I want you to, I want to just invite you this morning to trust that the picture that God is painting here is the picture that he wants us to appropriate and to follow. So a couple things, again, about what the word submit is not. We'll talk about what it's not, and then we'll talk about what it is. And again, this is a sensitive issue, so we're spending a good bit of time on this because I think it's been very misunderstood, and or, or even more so, abused over years. So the word submit is not subjection or subordination or subjugation. It doesn't mean that Husbands are allowed to just take advantage of their wives and treat them like slaves, um, and you just do whatever I tell you to do. That's not what God has in mind here. We're going to see why in a little bit. It's also not an unthinking or absolute obedience. Even though that word that's used for submit literally is translated as obey, one thing that Scripture does tell us, uh, and you see this happening, is, is that you are called to, you know, whatever this word means, to submit to your husband up to a certain point. If your husband asks you to do something that God tells you not to do, the teaching of Scripture is that we are called to obey God, not humans, okay? So it's not absolute that no matter what the husband says, you have to do it, uh, only within the guidelines of God's will. 
So it's not an unthinking or just automatic obedience. I think this is important to realize. Here's another thing that's very important. This is not a word from husbands, okay? (laughs) In this passage, if you look at Ephesians 5, again, a lot of husbands might have heard me say that word to wives and been, yeah, this is this is what I'm waiting for. Now I can go home and tell my wife to, to submit. And uh, it's important to realize that this is not a word from husbands in this chapter. Who speaks this word? This is a word from God. This is his plan. And we might not like the way it sounds, but we have to try to understand it because this is not a word from husbands. It's a word from God. It's from the Lord. So what is submit? What is submission? I think the definition we have here is placing oneself under another person's authority. Placing oneself under another person's authority. Or another way to say that would be to say to give oneself up for somebody. And think about the heart of this, what this means. That means I'm sacrificing my own priorities so that I can follow the leadership of another person. To give oneself up for somebody. It's this idea of sacrifice. What, are, what is the word submit? That's the definition. But what else? What would we say? We just talked about what submit is not. I want to talk for a minute about what it is. The first thing, like I said, is it's a word from God. It's a word that's here in Scripture. We can't ignore it. We need to do our best to understand it. The other thing we know is that in Scripture, when this is used, it's actually a military image. And you might say, well, this isn't making me feel any better. So now my husband's the general, you know. Um, Look at this picture. If you think about this, uh, this is Dwight Eisenhower out on the battlefield talking to some soldiers during during World War II. Um, And if you think about the idea of of these soldiers, they have enlisted or maybe they were conscripted and they said, we're going to follow the orders of our commanding officer. Now, well, guess what? That really only works well if you can trust your commanding officer, right? Um, And so... Following a commanding officer who has the right priorities, the right goals, and the right practices makes that a lot easier, doesn't it? And this idea in Scripture is that when when it works properly, it's that idea of kind of this idea of saying, I'm going to submit, I'm going to follow the leadership of this commanding officer because I trust that he's leading this army in the right direction. He's leading our marriage in the right direction. Now, I know there's a problem with that, right? Because a lot of times, uh, especially wives, you could say, well, my husband's not leading in the right direction. Maybe I don't trust the way he's leading. Well, then what do you do? We're going to come back to that. So it's a military image. I think that helps us understand a little bit of what we're talking about here. But also one thing you notice here in, in Scripture is that God says, women, wives, submit to your husbands. It's It's a call for you to volunteer to do this. He's not saying that, Husbands, you need to force your wives to do this. Again, this is God inviting you to follow his design. And I think what you see here, this picture of marriage in Ephesians 5, is that's a picture of joyful marriage, a marriage that's to be enjoyed and loved by all involved. Voluntary and joyful. And then lastly, I think the word submit is it's part of God's design for authority in the home. So there's another word. We talked about the S word. Now we're talking about the A word, right? The Authority, if I can say that. Uh, people don't like to say that word authority when they talk about marriage. They say, no, it's all equal. And yet we see the design for God. Somehow, he says, husbands are the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What an interesting verse, verse 23. 
Because what God's saying there is that husbands in some way have authority that's been given to them by God. Now, again, husbands are notorious for abusing that authority. Definitely. And yet, look at what God says about Christ, who's the head of the church. What's his chief characteristic? He's a savior. He gave everything so that he could lead the church. We're going to come back to that when we start talking about what it looks like for a husband to be a part of a healthy home. But before we do, what are, there's, there's two questions about authority. If husbands are the head and God said, hey, I've given you the authority in the home, where does this authority come from? And I think three times here in these chapters you see it says it's from the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 22, uh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, we talk about this idea of obeying parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Then we talk about slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. God says, the authority that I give in these structures is from me, and you need to realize that. But then the other question is, how is the authority supposed to be used in God's design? How is the authority supposed to be used? Well, I think a couple things we're going to see when we start talking about how men are supposed to love their wives is that it's never used selfishly, but it's for the benefit of those being led. Never selfishly. So the biblical concept of leadership and authority in the home, God says it's a, it's a, it's a concept not of tyranny, but of responsibility. Now, how badly have we as humans messed that up? Pretty badly. Pretty badly. And yet God says, this is what I'm calling you to. Think about Jesus. Jesus says, I'm your leader. I'm the, I'm the head of the church. Well, what style of leadership did Jesus tell us? a leader supposed to have. Mark 10, 42 through 45. Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the picture that Jesus paints here is the one that we see when he instituted communion. He was the greatest leader the world has ever known, and he chose to be a servant. We're going to come back to that picture. Harmony in the home. The word submit means to give oneself up for somebody, but the heart behind it, we are told, is reverence for Christ. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Give yourself up um, as you out of reverence for Christ. And here's the deal. Here's what we need to realize. And this actually goes on both sides of the equation is that the purpose of this is to lift up your husband, to lift up Jesus, to guide your husband closer to Jesus. And so I think the heart issue that we see here in Ephesians five, when God is speaking to, to wives, is he says, your focus is not to be on yourself or on your own desires. And that's the challenge Jesus gives to everyone, whether it's male or female. But he says, in this structure that I've designed in the home, with the husband being the head, what I'm calling you to do is focus not on your own desires, but on the desires of others. That doesn't mean you're called to be a doormat. um, But it does mean that this is what God's designed it to be. That's the note for wives. So what if my husband doesn't lead like Jesus does? Some of you might be asking that question. What if my husband's not a servant? In fact, he asks me to do stupid things. All right? That can happen, can't it? What if you're saying, well, me and my husband, 
I'm a wife, and I'm hearing this, but me and my husband disagree on almost everything, uh, partly because everything he's doing is wrong, <laughs> and that might be true. What do you do? I think there's a couple questions, or one important question you have to start with is, is what my husband's proposing or asking us to do, is it morally wrong? Okay, That's the first question. And, and if it's not, then you kind of go into another series of questions. And uh, Sarah and I attended a class one time on marriage, and the guy in, in, who led the class talked about how he and his wife would get into the biggest fights about when they were driving. Now, is that, does anybody else, can they identify with this? And, uh, and, and she would just tell him, you can't drive like that. And, and, uh, and he's like, well, I'm not even doing anything dangerous, but in her eyes it was. His point with the whole thing was, is that probably 90% of the disagreements that husbands and wives have are not over moral issues. Okay. In fact, most of them aren't even over right or wrong or better or best issues. They're just differences in preference. So if you have that kind of difference, what are you called to do? I think one thing is take a step back and say, what's the end result of this? I don't think uh, the idea of the submit, the word submit means that we don't discuss things. We might even have, uh, Tim Keller talks about having contentious discussions. Um, and, and here's the deal. We're going to see in a minute, uh, if a husband is wise, he's going to listen to the words of his wife. Uh, and sometimes God's, in fact, frequently, God's given uh, wives uh, great gifts of understanding. And we'd be fools not to listen to them. So it doesn't mean that you're going to agree 100% of the time and say, okay, yeah, I'm just whatever you say. Um, I don't think that's a healthy relationship. But it does say that you give oneself up for your husband, giving yourself up for your husband. So that's the note for wives. What's the note that God calls husbands to play? The note is called love. Okay, the note is love. That's the note that God gives to husbands in verses 25 through 31. By the way, it's kind of lopsided in this passage. Paul talks for, I think, four verses to wives, but he talks for like six or seven or eight verses to husbands. Um, And by the way, the things that he asks us as husbands to do, when you start boiling it down and saying, wait a minute, I'm responsible for that. Um, We do not get off the hook, guys. In fact, If you started this sermon by saying, that's right, Marcus, tell my wife she needs to submit. Well, now I'm here to tell you for this word from the Lord, which is to love. So what is the definition of love that we see here in verses 25 through 31? Definition of love, I think, is one word, and that is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Guess what? That does not come naturally to humans, and it surely does not come naturally to males, okay, <laughs> to men. And so, um, but that's what God says, I've called you to do. I have called you to love your wives and to sacrifice for her in the same way that I sacrificed for the church. Sacrifice for your wives. Here's that picture again. Jesus showed us what it looked like to love. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And the night he washed his disciples' feet, he said, I'm among you as a servant. Even though I'm the greatest leader, I'm going to show you what true love looks like. I'm going to serve you, not just by washing your feet, but tomorrow. Remember this happened on Monday, Thursday, on Good Friday. He served them by dying, literally sacrificing himself. Why it's so appropriate that we have celebrated communion this morning to remember the sacrifice and the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. In fact, you see that picture But I think an even better picture of the love of God 
is this cross right behind me. The cross that represents the place where Jesus bled and died for you and me. That's the example of love that God tells husbands. Love your wives just like Christ loved the church. To which we all say, ouch. You know, that's not a, an, an inexpensive kind of love. The picture that God gives us is to be, as he calls us to be, loving leaders of the home. And that means giving up a great deal. Look at some of these ways we could say it. I think one thing that we see here is, is, is that God is telling husbands, we're, I'm calling you to care for your wives, not control them. Okay? I'm not calling you just to, uh, I'm giving you a responsibility not to act like a ruler in your marriage. I'm calling you to serve, not to dominate. I think that's the picture of the love that Christ showed the church. That's the picture of the love that Jesus asks us to show to our wives, serving, not dominating. You know, there are those two illustrations here in this passage. One is Christ loving the church by dying for her. And, and we see that. We see his purpose and his motive is to sanctify her, um, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. How many synonyms did, did he use in there to say, I'm trying to make her pure and clean. That's why Jesus died for the church. And guess what? God says, that's how I want you husbands to love your wives. Love them in such a way that they come closer to Jesus. Guide them closer to Jesus. You are responsible, men, to be the spiritual leaders of your home. You are responsible to guide your wives closer and, and to demonstrate the love of Christ by sacrificing for your spouse and for your kids. The purpose of Christ loving the church was to give life to the church. And it's the same with us men. God asks us to love our wives so that we can bring lives, life into our families. Now, the second illustration is, is a little more confusing. It says uh, in verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Doesn't it feel like we all of a sudden went backwards there, right? It sounded like we were talking about this beautiful thing, Christ loving the church. And then God says, oh, and by the way, it's just like loving yourself. That doesn't seem to make sense until you read a little further. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And verse 30 is the key phrase, because we are members of his body. Remember that somehow when we trusted Christ, He's incorporated us into his own body. So now the bride actually becomes his own body. And God says that actually marriage is a picture of that. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so God says that more than many other things out there, God says marriage is a great picture of God's unity with the church and our unity with him and his love for us. And so Christ says, when I love the body, I'm actually loving myself because I've made you a part of myself. And God gets more glory because of that. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I think that's a great piece of advice in marriage. When we look at this, this note for husbands, the call to love our wives in the same way that Christ has loved the church. Um, it's not an easy call. And God says, I mean, 
for crying out loud, we're trying to live up to the example that Jesus set for us, right? Who can possibly do that? The answer is no one, apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. Then the last thing that I want to point out here is the note for all, or maybe we could even say notes for all, and that is to imitate Christ's love for the church. The passage ends, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I think that's the common theme that goes through all this. Remember chapter 5 started by saying, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the call to all of us, whether you're married or not. And that's the way this chapter ends, as God says, the love that Jesus showed his church is the kind of love that we're called to imitate, especially in marriages, especially in marriages. By the way, did you notice God says to women submit and to men love? But a lot of the things we just described sound the same, don't they? <laughs> They're not exactly the same because there's a differentiation in role and in authority for some, you know, that's the way God designed it. Um, but a lot of the practices that he's asking us to have are very much the same sacrificing your own desires. See, most marriages struggle or fall apart because one or both of the partners cares only about themselves um, and forgets to care for the other person. And God says, the notes for all, this is the melody that's beneath all the individual notes, is that we are called to imitate the love of Christ for the church. We're called to imitate that kind of love as we live in our homes, as we live in our communities, you look at this, this melody that he's written for us. Most of you probably, I don't know if we have any musicians who can glance in that and tell me what it is. Anybody? Nobody? Right off the top of your head? I'm sure Miguel could if he was here. Um, but it's the Hallelujah Chorus, okay? That's the handwritten copy of the Hallelujah Chorus, I'm told. I trusted Google on this, okay? Uh, but it's, it's an amazing composition. And God says, I want you to fit into my masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I want you to play by the notes that I've composed. That's the challenge for us in the family. And here's the thing. We get to that and we think back. Does anybody remember this picture uh, from a couple weeks ago? So you might walk out of here and say, okay, I think I kind of understand what Marcus is saying. And then you get home and somebody says something. <laughs> is that going to happen? I guarantee that's going to happen. It might happen at my house. And it's probably going to be me who says something. Okay. And then what happens? This all kind of goes out the window and you start arguing, right? And you, well, if you always say this, then what about that? And uh, I hope you're all picking up on this. You didn't hire a perfect pastor, okay? <laughs> We're humans too. And so uh, what happens? Is harmony in the home a myth or is it a reality? And I've got kind of just three things I want to leave us with here uh, as, we, as we talk about this. Is it a myth or a reality? I want us to realize that struggles are real, okay? It's real to have struggles in your marriage. And if you're having a struggle in your marriage, that doesn't mean you're a failure or that the marriage is hopeless. It's real. All of us can attest to that. One thing I would say when you face a struggle, though, there's kind of two tendencies. Either one, you focus on your, um, I look at my problems and say, what a terrible person I am. I'm the one screwing this up. Or the other one is you focus on the problems of your spouse and say, what a terrible person she is. She's screwing this up. Um, guess what both of those really are? They're self-focused, aren't they? <laughs> and what we just said is God said, don't be self-focused. How is it self-focused? One, I'm kind of commiserating and, and talking about how bad I am. Two, I'm talking about how bad she is and how miserable it's making my life. 
God says the solution to mar- in, in marriage, what I've told you to do by loving and submitting is to focus on the other person, not on yourself. Number two, I would say get help when you need it. Okay? There's sometimes a stigma in saying we're really struggling, but we don't want to let anybody know that. We're going to keep it a secret. I would just encourage you, if, if, if you're struggling through something, get some help. I'll show you some things that you can do in that way. And that's the third thing is, is be proactive. Whether you're struggling right now or whether you struggle in the future as a married couple, maybe you're not even married yet, I would encourage you to be proactive. Don't wait until things blow up so bad that they're really hard to fix. Um, be proactive. In other words, try to do things uh, to build the strength of your marriage, not just to address the problems in your marriage. And so uh, come up with, with ways that you, can, that you can pursue things. Here's a list of things that you can do. One is this, uh, counseling. Okay, again, I said if you are having a struggle, talk to somebody. Come talk to me. Talk to Miguel. We partner with No Heart Left Behind and some other counseling ministries. Talk to somebody. It's really helpful to work things out. There's a No Heart Left Behind marriage retreat. You can go to their website on March 28th. That's a one-day event. And we're going to have a three-week class here at Trinity that talks about marriage uh, here, here at Trinity starting on April 21st. There's more information about that on, on No Heart Left Behind's website. What a great mission partner we have with them that helps us walk through some of these. And then the last thing I would just say is Right Now Media. There's a lot of great studies on there that are related to marriage with practical advice and helping you talk through things. So much of this is communication, learning how to talk with your husband, talk with your wife about things. And so uh, look at some of those. There's a, a great one on there, uh, I think, called Love and Respect. Uh, kind of falls right into that last verse that we read. So you've seen this picture before, and I'll just ask you this again. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow closer to Jesus? Do you want to grow in love in your marriage? Do you want to grow closer to your spouse? My encouragement to you is to take a step. Take one step forward. And wherever you are right now, take a step forward. Ask God to help you. uh, And step forward. Play the right notes. And do it that way. You know, healthy families make a healthy church. And so we're incredibly um, blessed with families in this church, and we want to do everything we can to make families healthier and to help healing come where it's needed and to help growth come where it's needed. Because I think God has few tools more powerful than healthy families uh, to make disciples. Well, that's all I have for this morning. What I want us to do, if you will, uh, uh, stand with me. We're going to pray this prayer together and then... Uh, Actually, before we all chime in to pray, I'm going to thank God for the food next door at the shared meal. So I hope you can join us for that. And then I'll say, let's all pray together and we'll say this prayer together. So please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this chance to gather as a faith family. Lord, I pray that we would take this truth from your word and apply it in a wise way. God, we thank you for the meal you provided next door. uh, And we just uh, give you thanks for those who've prepared it. And God, we all pray together. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go and make disciples.